Spiritual Sword Media presents The Anchor of the Soul with Mike Hickson, preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ in Olive Branch, Mississippi. And now, Mike Hickson. Grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love. Let me just begin by asking this question. What you believe when we talk about your belief system, and by that I am simply referring to your beliefs in what we call the Bible, things that are religious in nature. Are the things that you believe, are they based on feelings or faith? There are a lot of people, I think, sometimes that blur the lines. They think that what they believe is found in the Bible when indeed, after careful examination, it is not. Jude tells us to contend earnestly for the faith. And the idea there is that we are to contend for that system that has been once for all delivered. There are some fundamental truths that are set forth in the pages of the Bible. And we have to read and study and meditate on these things and then make them a part of our daily life. The Bible tells us that we are to sanctify the Lord God in our heart always. And we are to be ready to give an answer or a defense of those things that we believe. We need to know what we believe and why we believe them. And so consider with me the theme, I thought, or I think. We're going to be looking at 2 Kings chapter 5. As we look at this account that has been preserved for us in the pages of the Bible, I would remind you that Paul wrote in Romans chapter 15 verse 4 that the things which were written aforetime were written for our learning. There's a great deal of value that comes by looking back to the Old Testament and learning some of the great lessons contained therein. So let's look at 2 Kings chapter 5. First of all, I want to state that when we look at the life of Naaman, we're reading about, we're looking at the life of a man that was honorable. Naaman was an honorable man. First of all, he was a man of dignity. Note, if you would, what is recorded in verse 1. Now, Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great and honorable man in the eyes of his master, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was also a mighty man of valor. When I think about Naaman and his responsibilities, I think it's interesting to know that he was a man of valor. He was a man of, of courage, of fortitude. He was somebody that was, no doubt, honorable, one who was esteemed by his master. However, note what the writer says in the latter part of verse 1. This honorable man, an individual of great valor, was also a leper. And so we think about his disease. Leprosy was a scourge in days gone by. As a matter of fact, those who had leprosy were oftentimes ostracized from 
those in the mainstream. As a matter of fact, you can look at the Old Testament and you will see that those who had leprosy were to cry out to those about them that they were a leper, to put people on guard. It was a scourge. And no doubt it meant a lonely existence for many. But picking up in verse 2, we find a disclosure that is made to Naaman. Now you think about this honorable man, a man of great courage and valor. He has an affliction. That affliction is leprosy. And so in verse 2, the Bible says, And the Syrians had gone out on raids and had brought back a captive, had brought back captive a young girl from the land of Israel. And she waited on Naaman's wife. Verse 3, Then she said to her mistress, If only my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria, for he would heal him of his leprosy. Now this young girl that had been brought back from Israel, she was mindful of the prophets. And I think about the charge that was given to ancient Israel, particularly in light to their relationship to the Gentile people. In Isaiah chapter 49 at verse 6, God said, speaking to his people, he said, I have given you as a light for the Gentiles. Here was a woman that was a light for God among pagan people. And so she talks about this great prophet in Samaria and the fact that he could heal Naaman of his leprosy. And Naaman went in and told his master, saying, Thus and thus said the girl who is from the land of Israel. So the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he departed and took with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. Then he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which said, Now be advised when this letter comes to you that I have sent Naaman, my servant to you, that you may heal him of his leprosy. And it happened when the king of Israel read the letter that he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and make alive that this man sends a man to me to heal him of his leprosy? Therefore, please consider and see how he seeks a quarrel with me. Now look at verse 8. In verse 8, we now have this matter being taken up by Elisha, the great prophet. And what I want you to consider now in the second place is that Naaman has the opportunity to now hear the message, that is, the message of the prophet. So it was when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, that he sent to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Please let him come to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. Then Naaman went in with his horses and chariot, and he stood at the door of the house of Elisha. Now in verse 10, Elisha is going to make a demand upon Naaman. He's going to give him some very specific instructions relative to his cleansing from leprosy. And so verse 10, here's the demand set forth by the great prophet. Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, Go and wash in the Jordan River seven times, and your flesh shall be restored to you, and you shall be clean. Now, what I would submit to you is that there is a correlation 
between the hear between hearing the word of God and being blessed. There is a correlation in faith and obedience, and that's what Naaman's going to ultimately find out in this context. Look now at verse 11. Naaman has been instructed by the prophet of God to go and wash in the river Jordan seven times, to dip in it seven times, and he would be cleansed. But note his response. In verse 11, we find Naaman hesitating with madness. In other words, he is disgusted at what he has heard from the prophet. Note verse 11. First of all, his fury. Naaman became furious and went away. Now, how would you have reacted had you been afflicted with leprosy? Here is a young girl that says, look, I know somebody that can heal you. And this prophet says to one of his messengers, all right, here's what you need to do. Go dip seven times in the river Jordan. You'll be cleansed. Do you think you would have gotten mad? Well, Naaman got mad. He's furious. But I want you to now note his fault. Herein lies the problem in the life of Naaman. In verse 11... Naaman became furious, went away, and said, Indeed, I said to myself. Now, the old King James Version renders this, Behold, I thought. That's where we get in trouble sometimes, religiously. When we think, rather than when we act, according to what God says. Now note, if you would, what Naaman says. Indeed, I said to myself, or behold, I thought, he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the place, and heal the leprosy. Now note, if you would, how he begins to rationalize. Are not the Arbana or Abana and the Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned away, or turned and went away in a rage. Now let's just pause here for a moment. Naaman is not unlike many people in the religious world today. There are a lot of people in our world today, if you ask them a specific question, about a doctrinal matter, they will respond by saying, well, I thought, or I think. There's nothing wrong with thinking something if what we think is based on divine truth. Where we get in trouble many times is, where, is when our thinking contradicts what the clear-cut teaching of Almighty God is. Let me give you some examples. How many times have you heard somebody say, well, I thought all I had to do was say the sinner's prayer and I would be saved. You would be utterly amazed at how many people in our world today, religiously speaking, believe that the sinner's prayer is found in the Bible. Did you know that you could search the New Testament from Matthew to Revelation and not one time 
Will you ever read of any person reciting the sinner's prayer? It's not found one time. And yet there are a lot of people that will say, well, I thought all I had to do was say this prayer, accept Jesus into my heart, and I would be saved. Ask a moment ago, what you believe, is it based on feelings or on faith? The faith that has been once for all delivered. Here's what the Bible does say. The Bible says, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Now that's a quotation. That's not my interpretation. That's not my embellishment of what the Son of God had to say. Rather, that is a quotation directly from the lips of the Son of God. He that believeth, number one, and is baptized, number two, shall be saved, number three. It's not hard to understand. But there are a lot of people, when you sit down and talk to them about what the Scriptures teach, they'll say, well, I thought all I had to do was say the sinner's prayer and I'd be saved. There are some people that say, well, I thought baptism was an outward sign of an inward faith. In other words, I accepted the Lord Jesus Christ into my heart, I was saved, and then I was baptized in order to demonstrate my faith to other people. Let me ask this question. Where do you read of that in the New Testament? Somebody says, well, I thought that's what the Bible teaches. That may be what people think, but that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that baptism is for salvation, Mark 16, 16. Baptism is for the remission of sins, Acts 2, 38. Baptism is for the washing away of sins, Acts 22, verse 16. When we're baptized into Christ, when that baptism is preceded by faith in Jesus Christ as the Son of God, John 8, verse 24, repentance, Luke 13, 3, making the good confession, Matthew 10, 32, one then enjoys or appropriates the benefits of the blood of Jesus. Where did Jesus shed his blood? He shed his blood in death, John 19, 34. Why then are we baptized? Well, we're baptized in order to appropriate the benefits of that blood. That's why Paul said in Romans 6, verse 3, Know you not that all we who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death. When we're baptized into Christ, we enjoy the benefits of the blood of Jesus Christ. Let me ask this question. How many times have you heard somebody say, with regard to the church, well, I thought you could be saved without a relationship to a particular church. I mean, after all, the church isn't that important. There are a lot of people in our world today, they have the idea you can have a spiritual relationship with Jesus Christ, the Son of God, without any kind of affiliation with the church. And yet the Bible teaches us that if you have a relationship, a spiritual relationship with Jesus Christ, then you are going to have a relationship with His church. The idea that the church is an unimportant entity is not found in, in the pages of the Bible. As a matter of fact, the Bible teaches us that salvation is in Christ, 2 Timothy 2 at verse 10. 
Did you know that when you're baptized into Jesus Christ, you are then baptized into His church? That's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13. By one spirit were you all baptized into one body. When you're baptized into Christ, you are placed in His body. Why then be in the body? Because Paul taught in Ephesians 5.23 that Christ is the Savior of the body. If you're not in Christ, you're not in the body. If you're not in the body, you're not in Christ. If you're in the body, then you're among the saved. If you're among the saved, then you are among the cleansed, the redeemed, the called out, the ecclesia, the community of the saved. Now, there are others that will say, with regard to the church, well, I thought one church was just as good as another. I mean, after all, we're just talking about a human organization. It doesn't matter what church you go to. Where'd you ever read, read that in the Bible? How many people in the religious world today will tell you, I'm talking about intelligent people. How many people have you heard say, well, I didn't think it mattered. It doesn't matter what church you belong to. Now, there are a lot of people in our world, that's what they think. But the Bible tells us that Jesus is the one who promised to build the church. In Matthew 16, verse 18, Jesus said, I also say unto you, and upon this rock, that is to Peter, upon this rock I will build my church. That is singular in nature. It is possessive. The church belongs to Jesus. He built his church. All right, here's the question. How many churches are there? I'm talking about how many churches do you read about in the New Testament? In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 4, Paul said there is one spirit and one body. Even as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all, through all, and in you all. What is the body? He is the head of the body of the church. So, what does the Bible teach? In Ephesians 4, verse 4, there is one body. One body and one head. Who is the head of the church? Jesus Christ is the exalted head of the church. In Colossians 1.18, the Bible says he is the head of the body, the church, which is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. So you have one head and one body. That's what the Bible says. Now, there are a lot of people in our world today that will tell you it doesn't matter what church you attend. It doesn't matter what church you affiliate yourself with. I know that's a popular message. I know that's what a lot of people think. And if you talk to people long enough, they're going to tell you, well, I thought that I could belong to this church or that church, and it really didn't make a difference. If you want to be saved, you want to make sure that you belong to the Lord's church, the church we read about in the New Testament. And there's just one church. That's what, that's what Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church. That's what Paul said in Ephesians 4, verse 4. Now, somebody might say, well, that's pretty narrow-minded. That's pretty dogmatic. Well, let me just ask this question. Am I being too narrow-minded if I simply say what Jesus said? 
Am I being overly dogmatic if I simply teach what the Apostle Paul teaches? There are a lot of people in our world today, they're basing their thinking, they're basing what they're practicing in, the matter of, in matters of religion on their feelings. Well, I thought, or I think this. Here's what Solomon said in Proverbs chapter 28, verse 26. He said, he that trusts in his own heart is a fool. What you and I think needs to be grounded in a thus saith the Lord. Let me give you another example. There are people in our world today in matters of religion that will say regarding the concept of once saved, always saved. Well, I thought once you became a Christian, you could never lose your salvation. I heard a gentleman on television, not, or rather on the radio, not long ago, a couple of weeks ago, cite 2 Peter chapter 3, where Peter speaks of those who would be carried away by the error of the wicked and fall from their own steadfastness. And then he qualified that by saying, now, Peter's not saying here you can lose your salvation. But a lot of people think that. You talk to enough people and they're going to tell you, well, I thought once you became a Christian, you could never lose your salvation. If that's the case, why would Jesus say, be faithful until death? Revelation 2.10. Why would Jesus say in Matthew 24, he that endures to the end, the same shall be saved. If you can never lose your salvation, why would the Apostle Paul say, Be ye steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not vain in the Lord? Over and over and over again, the Bible teaches the importance of faithfulness to God and His Word. And yet some people say, Well, I thought I'd just live any way I please. That's not what the Bible teaches. So what, what's the point then? The point is we need to make sure that what we believe and practice is based on the faith that has been once for all delivered, and not just on feelings. All right? Note now, Naaman was said to have heeded the message. Look at verse 14. In verse 14, the Bible says, So he went down and dipped seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Then he returned to the man of God, he and all his aides, and came and stood before him and, his, and said, Indeed, now I know that there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. Now, therefore, please take a gift from your servant. What do we have here? Well, we have an individual who responds in faith to the, to the demands of the prophet. In other words, he complied with the will of God. In so doing, he enjoyed cleansing. Two things. Number one, his faith. Did you know that God blesses those who obey him? 
Read the Old and New Testaments. Over and over again, you'll read about individuals whom God blessed because they were obedient to His Word. In Romans chapter 1, verse 5, Paul begins the book by speaking of the obedience of faith. He closes the book in Romans chapter 16, verse 25, again referring to the obedience of faith. John closes the book of Revelation by saying, Blessed are those who do His commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life, and enter through the gates into the city. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount said, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. There is a premium placed on doing the will of Almighty God. Now let me just ask this question. Are you honoring the will of God in your life? Are you obeying Him? Are you submissive to His commands? Go back sometime and read 1 Samuel chapter 15. When God through the prophet Samuel told Saul, King Saul, to go and to utterly destroy the Amalekites. Saul partially obeyed the will of God. And because of that, God removed him as king over the United Kingdom. He said to obey is better than sacrifice. To heed than the fat of rams. What was the lesson? Well, the lesson was when God says to do something, we need to do it. When God tells us to do something in a certain way, we need to do it. We may not fully understand it. I don't think Naaman fully understood why go wash in the river Jordan seven times and I'll be cleansed. Why not Why not the river Farpar or Abana? I mean, after all, those are better rivers. Sometimes we may not fully comprehend why God says to do something, but that is where faith comes in taking God at His Word and putting it into action. And so you have his faith and then his fortune. Here was Naaman, this great honorable man, a man of valor. He had the scourge of leprosy, and because he complied with the will of God, he was healed. What about us today? Did you know that when you and I obey the will of Almighty God, we become the recipients of tremendous riches. We enjoy the bounty of Almighty God. In Ephesians 1 verse 3, Paul talks about how those of us who are in Christ Jesus, we enjoy every spiritual blessing. You and I, we cannot enjoy those blessings outside of Christ. Those blessings are not available to individuals who are not willing to be submissive to His will. When Ananias stood before Saul of Tarsus, and Saul had been engaged in putting Christians to death and having them imprisoned, the Lord appeared to him on the road to Damascus. Ananias stands before him, and he said, Why tarriest? Arise and be baptized, and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. What if Saul of Tarsus had said, well, I don't, I don't really understand that. Or I thought I could be saved another way. Or I want to do it another way. Saul of Tarsus would have never become a New Testament Christian. He would never have become the great apostle that you and I read about in the pages of the Bible. 
And so the emphasis in, in the Bible, whether it be the Old Testament or the New Testament, is to base our beliefs on the faith, not on our feelings, not on what we think, not on what we thought, but rather on what the Bible teaches. I don't think we need to be arrogant or caustic or ugly in our proclamation of truth. Paul said we are to speak the truth in love in Ephesians 4 verse 15. But we have to speak the truth. And there are a lot of people in our world today, they're basing what, what they're practicing in matters of religion on what they feel in their heart, on what they think. They're like Naaman, I thought, rather than investigating God's Word. Here's what the Bereans did. They searched the Scriptures daily to see whether those things were so. Were so. Acts 17, verse 11. I think about the words of Paul in 1 Thessalonians 5 when he said, Prove all things, hold fast that which is true, that which is right. Put it to the test. Make sure that what you believe, what you practice, is found in this book that we call the Bible. Thank you for listening to the Anchor of the Soul. Your speaker has been Mike Hickson, preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ, located at 9100 East Sandage Road in Olive Branch, Mississippi. To hear this lesson again and to see video archives, go to olivebranchchurchofchrist.org. Tune in next Sunday for more of the Anchor of the Soul. Will your anchor drift or firm remain? We have an anchor that keeps the soul Steadfast and sure while the billows roll Fastened to the rock which cannot move Grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love